have a crisp and clear story, a great value proposition that you can deliver to the people in your network that now needs to understand your rebrand right? And that's fine. You know, you rebranded when you stepped out of your executive roles into your business and now you're rebranding, willing to go back into the corporate world. And I think it's totally feasible. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Job Hunting Podcast. This is a solo episode. I'll be answering lots of questions that I have received when I was running the free Job Hunting Masterclass in February 2024. These questions are very universal. They're not really time-bound in any way. If you're listening to this episode many, many months or years ahead, I think you will still find great value. And I hope that those that asked those questions a few weeks ago, that they are excited about having the answers to those questions. When I run these free masterclasses, they're very popular. A lot of people attend, a lot of people register. I get lots of questions. And I also have so much content that I want to deliver in the masterclass. It's often really difficult for me to answer every single question. I think that most questions are actually answered through the content that I provide in the free masterclasses. And I tend to do at least one every year, sometimes two. And sign up for my newsletter if you're interested to know about events such as this. By the time this episode goes live, not only I would have, you know, already done the free masterclass, of course, but I would have done a live episode of the Job Hunting Podcast where I interview somebody live. So it allows you to ask me questions, ask my guest questions. So keep an eye on the newsletter and the invitations that I send out for free events like this. Anyway, lots of interesting questions. <laughs> Let's get started. I have another episode I recorded a couple of weeks ago where I answered about, I don't know, I think it was 13 questions. So if you're interested, I will put a link in the episode show notes for you below so that you can listen to those. There's no sequence, you know, you can listen to this one first and then go back and listen to that one. All the questions are great. They really are. And sometimes I kind of compress them into an amalgamation of all the questions because many of the questions are similar. And the reason why many questions are similar is because a lot of people job search alone <laughs> and they don't share those issues that they're facing with others. So I often find that the group coaching program is great for that reason, because people feel less alone. There's this accountability and this trust within the group. So right now I am running the group coaching program. It's called Job Hunting Made Simple. It's my signature program. And if I, you know, have time out, I might run it again later in the year. So again, sign up for the newsletter. I'll put a link to the Job Hunting Made Simple website, the landing page as well. There's a wait list for that. So I can make sure that you have access to that wait list in the links in the show notes. And by the time this episode goes live, it will be week four of the seven-week group coaching program. So more than halfway through, which is exciting for the group. All right, first question. 
what is your number one job seeking advice for a former executive age 52 running her own consulting boutique business for six years and looking at returning to the corporate world? That's a very interesting question for me because I'm also 52. <laughs> so I can see myself in this situation, even though I'm very happy where I am with my business. Back in 2019, I did step out of the corporate race. My role was made redundant at the end of 2018. And at the beginning of 2019, I decided I wanted to have my own business. And I went ahead and I set it all up. And I've been doing it ever since. But, you know, it's interesting to put myself in your shoes if you're also 52 and I'm 52 and think what would be the number one thing that I would do if I was in your place. I think the number one job seeking advice from me would be to have a crisp and clear story, a great value proposition that you can deliver to the people in your network that now needs to understand your rebrand right? And that's fine. You know, you rebranded when you stepped out of your executive roles into your business, and now you're rebranding, willing to go back into the corporate world. And I think it's totally feasible. In fact, there's an interview with Karen James on the Job Hunting Podcast. It's episode 60. There will be a link in the episode show notes, but wherever you found this podcast, it will be easy for you to find episode 60. <laughs> kind of an old an old one, but a goodie. And Karen has gone through lots of rebrands in her career. And she did exactly that. She stepped out of a very senior role, had her business for, I don't know how long, but probably around six years, that would be about right. And then went back into an executive role again. So Leveraging also from your consulting experience, if I can give you more than one, <laughs> you asked for one job seeking advice, but if I can give you sort of expanding on that crisp and clear story would be to leverage from that consulting experience and highlighting the experiences you gained while running your consulting business and emphasizing how these can bring unique values to a corporate role. In fact, I have clients that have gone exactly through that and on more than one. Right now, I have a client coming back from having set up a startup. I've had clients that had consulting businesses and are now back fully employed in the corporate sector. And it's really about accepting and engaging with what you've learned from your consulting experience plus providing recency of your understanding of the corporate sector, especially the industry that you belong to, that you want to go back to if that's what you wanted to do. Focus on achievements like problem solving, client relations, project management that are directly transferable to the corporate environment and do a lot of research through conversations, gathering of intelligence and reading material to understand what that corporate environment looks like. Because frankly, post-pandemic, so much has changed. So I'd love for you to spend some time really digging deep into research through conversations and reading material to find out what is actually happening in your sector or industry right now, if it's 2024, or if you're listening to this in the future. I hope this answered your question. You know, I'd love to know how it goes. <laughs> Let me know if you need any help as well. Reach out to me. Like I said, I do have clients that have faced that same dilemma. Second question. 
how do you go about cold calling companies you want to work for? That is such an interesting question. It's often something that I read a lot in, you know, Forbes articles or LinkedIn articles or YouTube advice, you know, career coaches and coaches telling me, even in my podcast, I've had recruiters saying, you know, you should just go ahead and cold call recruiters or companies and so forth. Frankly, it's actually not that easy. <laughs> There is an episode with Kyle Samuels on my podcast It's 226. I will put a link in the episode show notes. Have a listen. I even extracted a clip where he does say something along the lines of the fact that LinkedIn and, and Twitter or X or whatever exists and gives you access to follow or connect with so many people might give you the wrong impression that you are one degree of distance away from that person and it would be easy to access a CEO or somebody within a company that you want to work for. But I think it's more more complicated than that. First of all, I would do thorough research. I always like to say that, but it's true, you know, before reaching out, research the company, understand the culture, understand the recent developments and the key challenges it faces. For example, I have a company and people do reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email asking me questions that are basic about my company that they can just research online. You know, like what services do you offer or, you know, the things that are so simple that just one click on my website and you would know. So that would be the first thing that you need to do. The second thing would be to identify the right contacts. So finding the appropriate individuals to contact is key. They could be hiring managers or department heads within your function, within your expertise. Using LinkedIn or the company's website is ideal. You can also do that for recruiters. Recruitment firms have very thorough websites with detailed bios of each of their recruiters or executive search partners. So make sure that you ad adapt this recommendation also to recruiters. Then craft a personalized message. Write something that's concise, not too long. You don't want to write a very big essay as an email or a message, but something that truly express your interest in the company or in that person and how your skills and experience might align with what they're trying to deliver. Uh, you know, if, if you know what the issue is or, or what the project is. And also in identifying the right context, you might first of all see if you have any first connections in the organization so that you can reach out to them first, even if they are not exactly aligned with your area of expertise, just gathering intelligence and saying, look, I'm thinking about contacting such and such within your organization. I really want to learn more and see if there's an opportunity for me to one day step in and help. What do you think? Right? So ask for their advice and get ready for the conversation because nothing is more nerve-wracking than you reaching out, you know, over the walling the the email to them and then all of a sudden they want to reach out to you. And I I've had that situation with clients before. You know, we have a coaching session, they say, "Oh, should I reach out?" And I'm like, "Yeah." reach out. Together we draft, you know, the best possible message, succinct, like I said, we work together. They reach out and then 
minutes later, they get <laughs> they get a reply back and they call me and they say, oh my God, <laughs> look what happened. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's, you know, get ready for that conversation. You have to be ready. And again, be succinct in discussing your background, having a good pitch to convey how you can contribute to their company and have a few insightful questions ready as well. So all of that pre-work that is involved frankly, when you work with a coach, you know, it may sound like there's a lot of work to be done before you engage in an activity such as emailing and applying for jobs and having conversations. But that pre-work does get you the confidence to have those conversations and they just flow, you know, you're ready for them. What else? Follow up, respectfully follow up. If you don't hear back, send a polite follow-up message. Maintain a balance between showing interest and respecting their time. And I think that that's probably the hardest thing to do. And one of the things that I often tell my clients is don't assume anything. If people haven't reached out to you, it doesn't mean they don't want to talk to you. It just means they're too busy. So reaching out a couple of weeks later is fine, but then that's it, right? <laughs> so it's all about that nurturing. And if you're interested inside my program called Reset Your Career, there's a very successful email template. That email template has been used I don't know how many times I'm going to say hundreds just so that I don't oversell it, but it's so successful. All my clients really have praised how well it works for them and adapted and used it in different ways and, you know, in different formats. So made that email template into, let's say, a LinkedIn message, for example. So reset your career. There will be a link in the show notes for you to check out. It's a very short online program with a library of resources that you can use, including a resume template and workbooks and so forth. All right, what else? Question number three. How do you strategically select your network and how do you connect with them to sell them your pitch in order for them to help you find your next role? My concern with this question is that this approach seems to be very transactional, even in the language that it's using. You know, things like selecting your network or selling them your pitch. When I work with clients, I move away from transactional networking because, frankly, I haven't seen that work. <laughs> it doesn't work. You, you have to think of persuasion and collaboration in, in two different ways, okay? If you're buying a car, if you're buying a house and you will never work with that seller again, then you want to be very transactional because you want to make the most out of your negotiation and your persuasion and get the best possible discount, the best possible value for your money, right? So that is one way of interacting with people. On the other hand, when you have a career that will be 20, 30, 40, 50 years long, I don't know how long you plan to work, but you know what I mean. It will be a long career and you have to engage with people time and time again. Depending on your sector, industry, geographical location, that network will be with you forever. It will be normally as a small group of people that all know each other and have worked with each other or being clients or suppliers and so forth. So what you want to do is to be somebody that is of service to your network as, 
as much or even more so than them being of service to you. And don't worry about being strategically selective about your network. Frankly, you never know where your new job will come from. It could come from a recommendation from an executive assistant. It could come from a recommendation from the, the husband or the wife of, you know, your future employer. You never know. I once had a client who had this ideal dream job in her mind in an organization in her town. And she had no connections there. But then her husband was a music teacher and he had a little boy who who was doing music lessons with him. And that boy had a parent, I don't know if it was the mother or the father, that worked in their organization. And that's how she got her, <laughs> her connection in there and got her interview. You know, like there is no rhyme or reason. And the more doors that you leave open and the better you are at tailoring your message to different audiences, be them young, old, within your sector or outside. Ideally, you want everybody to understand what you do in the best possible way for their, you know, age or level of understanding and to keep you top of mind, you know, to keep you involved in their thought process and in their stories and in their conversations with others so that if there is an opportunity for you, they will reach out to you. That's all about personal branding, which is, in fact, something that we have just looked at inside the group coaching program. It's the module three <laughs> that we've just addressed this morning, just before I'm recording this episode. So, okay, having said that, these are the things I think you should focus on when working with networks. Identify people that are the key influencers, and they don't necessarily have a position of leadership, right? But you can focus on individuals in your desired industry who are in positions of influence. They could be hiring managers, they could be industry experts, leaders in companies of interest, or just people that have a very good network and connections. And then have a look at mutual connections. So look for potential connections through your existing network, including former colleagues or alumni or professional group members. Engage authentically. So initiate contact by engaging with their content on platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter and reach out with a personalized message that reflects your interest in their work. I once attended a conference with a young professional. We were sponsoring that conference and there was a very senior CEO that was presenting at that conference. In fact, his speech was quite a big milestone here in Australia. It was in the news everywhere. It really provided a, a fork in the road of how CEOs engage with innovation in our country. And she was very impressed by him. She was at least, I don't know, 15 years younger than me and much more junior. But she took the strategic step to reach out to him on LinkedIn and say, I really enjoyed your speech and I thought it was really great. I was in the audience. I would love to connect. Not only he connected with her, they had a coffee together. <laughs> so I was so impressed and proud of her. And that meant a lot for the organization, for our organization that we were there sponsoring and representing and initiated, you know, a path of collaboration with that business. And offer reciprocal value. Like I said before, approach networking is always as a two-way street. So show the willingness to offer support and insight in return 
and foster that mutual beneficial relationship. It should never be transactional when it comes to professional networking. Okay, let's move on to the next question. What are the most common challenges when changing sectors? What are some of your top tips for dealing with these changes? Well, yes, changing sectors. When I talk about sectors, I'm thinking government, corporate, nonprofit. But this also applies for industry. So, for example, if you are in mining and you want to go into energy or banking or investment, or if you are in fashion retail and you want to go into, I don't know, professional associations. So those are different industries. You always need to think about how you're going to best showcase the transferable skills. So often professionals, they worry about their skills and will the skills will align with the new field. It's crucial to identify and highlight the transferable skills, especially how you're going to convey that in a way that is adopting the jargons and the cultural cues of that new sector or that new industry. Knowing how to speak that sector's language or that industry's language is going to make you a much better candidate. How do you learn that? You learn that by reading about that industry, understanding in industry publications, conferences and events, having connections in that industry or sector and having conversations, not conversations about getting you a job, but conversations about tell me about your sector. What is it that I need to know if I want to move into the nonprofit sector or into government? Tell me about it. Then you have to build a new network to have those conversations. So attending conferences is a great way of doing it. In fact, I was just prepping a LinkedIn post that I'm planning to do because I've noticed that my private clients that attended conferences at the end of 2023 are having much more, much better success early in the year with their recruitment processes than the ones that didn't. Those are clients that are trying to change industries or sectors or countries even and by attending those conferences and events it has expanded and they're building new networks so for someone who has spent years in one sector starting from scratch in a new industry or sector can be daunting <laughs> so networking through professional networking platforms or industry platforms is great. Not just LinkedIn, go above and beyond and attend industry-specific events. Do you need further training or education? Maybe you do. You know, I remember when I hired somebody to work with me at my previous job and we were doing partnerships with industry, partnerships with government. She, in fact, had a good understanding of that, but in a different country. So we paid for her to do additional training so that she could understand how to transfer her skills to an Australian setting. And she did training in what we call PPP, public-private partnerships. And that was fantastic for her and her career is thriving. I'm not saying it's because of that training, but it contributes to her ability to transfer her skills and gain the qualifications to speak the language and, you know, understand the cultural background in that new environment. 
competing in the job market. So your unique professional experiences from different careers can actually be very marketable in a new sector. I'm thinking about people that come from government into corporate or from corporate into nonprofit or vice versa. Employers often do value diverse perspectives and sometimes they want that. They want somebody that comes in and brings new ideas and new ways of thinking and doing business within an organization. Some not-for-profits want to be more commercial, for example. So use that to your advantage. Finding mentors as well is a great way of changing sectors and changing industries. So if you're into a new career path, try to find mentors that can guide you and look for mentors within your field, of course. And don't hesitate to reach out to experienced professionals within that industry or sector that can give you guidance and advice. It's incredibly hot here in Melbourne, so I had to open my doors to the balcony here. If there's extra noise on the background, my apologies, but I hope you can survive that. <laughs> there might be an ice cream truck or, you know, birds chirping away. All right, next question. What recruitment companies are leading the market when it comes to generalist roles? My career experience and strong skills are stakeholder engagement, blah, blah, blah. So this person is saying, look, I, I want the best recruitment companies for generalist roles. Whatever role you have, the best thing that you can do is go to Google and search wherever you are in the world. This podcast is listened to in over 100 countries, I kid you not. So I think that Google is fantastic. And I sometimes am quite surprised that people don't know this. But if you go to recruitment websites, so recruitment firms websites, they actually do list their areas of expertise. They sometimes most likely go above and beyond and they list every single recruiter that works there with a little bio. In the bio, they might include the titles, the, the jobs that they've advertised recently. So it gives you a good idea of who to get in touch with within recruitment firms and executive search firms. So the difference between recruitment firms and executive search firms is executive search firms might only, they will only do senior executive roles. Recruitment firms can do both. So have a look, Google, find them. There are some companies that are international, but that doesn't mean that locally you won't find great recruiters. And the best thing that you can do is do the search yourself. Even if you were working with me, I would still ask you to do the search and we could work together. I could show you the best ways of doing searches, but I'm pretty sure you can start at least by doing it DIY by yourself. Okay, now we have a final question. I'm struggling with key selection criteria. I have examples of my responses and the questions I receive. However, I don't think I am on the right track. I need your help to identify what I'm doing wrong in my approach. Well, okay, addressing selection criteria is not something that everybody in every country needs to do. So if it's not something that's common in your country, skip this question. You don't have to listen to this bitch. But if you are in Australia, if you are in the UK, some places in the US as well, there could be especially government roles 
or roles inside higher education where you and even not for profit where they will ask you to provide a resume a cover letter and address the key selection criteria which sometimes can be a third document sometimes the instructions are to include addressing the key selection criteria in the cover letter or include it in the resume the most important thing is to read the instructions. And if you can't find the instructions on how to address the key selection criteria in the job ad, it could be on the website, either the company's website or the recruiter's website. And if you can't find it anywhere, reach out to the recruiter and ask. Okay. I recently helped someone who had applied and had a, a very well-versed individual who had done a great resume and a great cover letter and applied for several roles where he was the ideal candidate and he did not get an interview right so he reached out to me he sent me the job ad the cover letter and the resume which is something that i often tell people to do when they're booking one hour consultations with me go to my website you can see how that works and i said you haven't addressed the key selection criteria. So if you see those words in a job ad, key selection criteria, you know that has a specific meaning in recruitment world and you may need to address it in a specific way. So either you go to that university's website or that department's website, if it's a government department or a not-for-profit or the recruiter and find out how they prefer you to address it or you reach out directly to the recruiter if you are able to in his case we couldn't find anything so what we did was we added to the cover letter a statement addressing the key selection criteria and we addressed each one of them i think there were four or five with a short paragraph that made the cover letter a bit longer two pages instead of one page which is my preference but that was fine and he got an interview and he got the job <laughs> so i'm not saying this is the only reason why he got the job i'm sure he did very well at the interview but at least he got an interview which he wasn't even getting an interview before so never underestimate how important it is to understand the recruitment process, understand and recognize that in employers and recruiters use specific words like key selection criteria <laughs> to denote what, is it, what it is that they want to get out of you and addressing the key selection criteria might be something you may need to do. And then when you are addressing the key selection criteria, the best way is to use the STAR method. Many websites that give instructions on how to address key selection criteria. And I'm talking about actually the employer's website. So if you go on the careers, you know, they might have detailed information there. I'm thinking about another client who was very good at creating a statement addressing the key selection criteria as a third document. And she was applying for roles. And I remember it was a, a library role. So she was applying to work at a library. And I said, this is very good, but this actually doesn't match the instruction on that library's website. So, yeah, you know, even if you know how to address key selection criteria, the line library had a specific way it wanted the candidate to address it. So there you go.
again that was a, a one-hour consultation with me and we got that fixed for her and and she understood it but the star method is very universally understood and and a big requirement for job interviews and also on how to address key selection criteria situation task action result making a succinct paragraph that explained this is is the best thing to demonstrate that you can do whatever it is that they are asking you to do as a, one of the key selection criteria usually organizations that require you to address key selection criteria they are stickler for protocol process and procedure so not only you should make sure that you are addressing it in the way that they want but make sure that you proofread and review it i find that in the past there were lots of typos and grammatical errors that used to come in job applications now because people are using ai to do them usually what they forget to do is that chat is american so if you're in the uk or in, in Australia, for example, you might need to change that to Australian English or English English. <laughs> so make sure that you make those changes when you are, and of course, no grammatical errors. And, you know, I, I think that that's a really important thing to remember, not just for statement addressing selection criteria, but to your entire job application. If you're still listening, thank you so much for sticking with me. And I hope to see you at the next episode. I will have another great guest for you. And yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. And if I can help you in any way, make sure that you connect with me or sign up to the newsletter below or check out what I said to you, which was the job hunting made simple. There's a wait list for it. Reset your career. There's some great tools and resources for you in there. And of course, there is the, you know, the master classes. It's a small, short online course. What else did I mention? And in some of the podcasts that I mentioned, I mentioned the one with Karen James. I'll make sure that there's a link to that below as well. Bye for now, and I'll see you next time.